Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, and I'm Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Last week, someone jumped on our community forums, and they asked me a question about a video that's been zipping around the Internet. The video shows John MacArthur rebuking Beth Moore and then providing an explanation of his concerns about women preachers, feminism, and the sufficiency of the Bible. They wanted my perspective on it, and so, well, I had not seen the video. Honestly, I spend my days with my head down, working very hard, serving our constituency, and so I don't really look up to see what is going on in the greater world of evangelicalism. But when someone has a question, if it's whatever it's about, I try to serve them. And so I did look at the video, and I shared my perspective. And then someone else chimed in, another person chimed in, and then there was a conversation that broke out among on the back channel of our team, uh, those that work with this ministry, and that went, uh, went around and around for a while, in a very positive way, I mean. And then someone asked me, someone else asked me my perspective, and so I was having these conversations about this, and so I thought, I think the most effective thing that I can do with so many people asking me questions is that I'll just put this in a podcast, and that what and that is what this is about. This is episode 212, and the title of it is Johnny and Friends, plus Beth Moore. And so if you want to read these show notes, you're welcome to do that. I will say that it's more than it's about 2,500 words. And so if you look for Johnny and Friends plus Beth Moore, it's episode 212. And you're welcome to read everything that I'm going to share with you right now. But let me give you the purpose of this podcast. As I have read various arguments on both sides of this, they're all the same. Either somebody's taking Beth's position or somebody's taking John's position, and most of them are grenade launching from one side to the other. I'm not taking John or Beth's position. That's not the purpose of this podcast. I want to come at it from another angle. The primary reason for this podcast is because there is a systemic problem with a harshness that has been in our ranks for decades. This incident, this little video is not an anomaly it's not a one-off, but it is part of a culture that is no longer hidden from public scrutiny. I've been speaking out for years about the lack of compassion within the biblical counseling movement. We have hurt a lot of people by our tones, our attitudes, and our words. And I say we because I'm not sitting in judgment as an outsider looking at you or anyone else and condemning anyone else as though I am not guilty. We have hurt a lot of people by our tones, our attitudes, and words. But this problem is also common within our evangelical leaders not just in the biblical counseling world. And so that's my purpose, and I really want you to hear me clearly and hear me well. I'll try to be as clear as I possibly can. I do want to give you a disclaimer, though. I do not follow John or Beth. I follow Cephas. I say that tongue-in-cheek because the primary teaching pastor at our church, his name is, his name is Peter. His messages are outstanding, and because they are so good, it takes me about a week uh, to process his sermons and to really reflect upon them and to respond to them. 
And by the time I get through, there's another one coming at me on the next Sunday morning. And so I don't spend time listening to people outside of our church like John MacArthur or or Beth Moore because I don't want what I hear on Sunday morning flushed, uh, flushed out. I really want to respond to the messages that the Lord has given our pastor, and, and I have a local church, and I have a pastor, and so I don't follow either one of them. Now, perhaps being an outsider is an excellent position to observe since I'm not emotionally connected to either John or Beth. Now, as more about my disclaimer, I am a graduate of the Master's University in Santa Clarita, California. This school is under the ministry that John leads. The Master's University is a it's a valley or two over from the main campus of Grace Community Church and the seminary that's on that campus. I attended the Master's University in the late 90s and earned a master's degree in biblical counseling That season of study was one of the most transformative and encouraging of my Christian experience. It was full-on personal sanctification for two years with no breaks, and that is a literal statement. It was an outstanding opportunity and a privilege. With that said, I've never had a conversation with John MacArthur, nor taken any classes from him, Though I did shake his hand when I received my diploma, I have heard him preach maybe 20 times, and maybe I have read a book or two I can't recall. Also, in August of 2019, I had the privilege of leading a conference at the church where Beth Moore attends, which was for a group of students in their in-house school. I was asked to teach on biblical counseling It was an amazing experience as well to serve a few folks in that church. It was a a very positive experience. Now, similar to John, I do not know Beth. I've never read any of her books. I've never attended her conferences. I have watched a few of her videos online over the past couple of years because things are amped up right now, and you probably know that specifically around uh, the social justice issue, but egalitarianism and feminism, it's all in the mix, and so I I have uh, watched a few videos of her, and so that's my disclaimer. As far as my beliefs, I hold many of the views that John MacArthur teaches. I am essentially reformed. I hold to the sufficiency of Scripture worldview. I'm also a complementarian, which means that there is both hierarchy and equality between the two genders. I add that there is equality because a man is not better than a woman and only leads in some instances as a matter of function, but not ontology. My wife, for example, is she's the number one discipler in my life for what should be obvious reasons. She knows me better than anyone else. She has more intel on me. She has more access to me. And I think it would be foolish on my part not to access this means of grace in my wife to serve me by discipling me. But I am the head of our home, the leader of our marriage. She wonderfully submits to me, and she disciples me as well, and and as I disciple her too. As for my view on women in the church, my pastor, you remember Cephas? His name's not Cephas. Peter. 
Peter gave a sermon on women in the church, and I have it linked here, and I would encourage you, if you really want to get into this, and I hope that you do, because this issue is not going to go away. You're welcome to listen to that sermon. He also, that sermon was part of a series that he did on gender confusion, and that link is here as well. And and that may be six sermons, I don't remember, but if you want to listen to all those sermons, I highly recommend them, and that will give you my perspective on women in the church and also gender confusion. Now, as to this video, I do not disagree with John's views as he outlined on that night in question. But what I found off-putting was how John responded by saying that Beth Moore should go home. Now, I understand his point, but he did not communicate it well, which hurt his message. I've shared this, and as I said earlier, I have I've interacted with a number of people about this, and especially John's friends and fans, And every single one of them have challenged me on my perspective about his rebuke. And all of them, without exception, have missed the point that I am making, which I hope that I can clarify here. Some of their questions to me were, do you support Beth Moore's views? Are you defending her? Do you know that she wants to be a preacher? Are you saying it was wrong to rebuke her? These sincere folks are having a hard time parsing out the attitude that I am confronting here from the rebuke that I agree with. Both of these things are key elements when you are admonishing someone. I'll speak more to that later. But for the record, I don't support her views on feminism, social justice, egalitarianism as I understand them, and I don't have an issue with someone rebuking a public figure who is leading folks astray. I am a complementarian, but my view on women does accommodate them leading in all sorts of capacities, but not as an elder of a local church. Let me give you an illustration. Brandy Huerta is a graduate of our Mastermind program. Our Mastermind program is an all-online school that teaches people how to be biblical counselors according to the gifting that God has given them. And so we take men and women and we equip them in this self-paced all-online course. Well, Brandy was, she was one of our Mastermind students. She graduated and she is an outstanding theologian. She geeks out on theology. She's very good at it. And so after she graduated, I asked her if she would come alongside me to supervise our students in our program, both men and women. She works specifically in our theology department. We also have women providing advice from time to time to those who come to our forums, which includes them helping men and women. And so I am a strong complementarian, but also recognize that God has gifted women, and there are areas where they can serve the body of Christ, and they should be free to do so. I mentioned earlier this idea, this juxtaposition of attitude and rebuke, and I want to address that now. It appears that some folks consider rebuke and attitude at odds with each other. 
In their minds, if I focus on the attitude conveyed, I'm diminishing the significance or necessity of the warning needed. In counseling, both attitude and correction are essential. How you communicate to a person is as vital as the truth you share with them. If I say something in such a way that it will unnecessarily offend the person, they will not focus on what they need to hear. The problem and solution here is not rocket science. Every reasonable Christian knows that if you want to rebuke a person, your word choices are of utmost importance. And when it comes to admonitions, it's not the time for off-the-cuff comments that lack preparedness, which can open the door to exactly what happened that night. The most appropriate thing for John to do is to say that his go-home word choice was not wise, and it was not his intent for that to be the primary takeaway from what he shared. And on reflection, he would say it differently, and he hopes that Beth and others would want to dialogue about the content of his concerns rather than focusing on his flippant words at the beginning. Now, perhaps John has done this. I don't know. But what I do know is that some of his defenders have drawn a hard line in the sand that discounts some of John's words while focusing on the others. Recently, I said, when the attitude you have towards someone speaks louder than your righteous arguments against them, your solid biblical points will get lost, you'll alienate those you could reach, and you will galvanize the opposition. And sure enough, these three things have happened. The points were lost. John alienated good people. I'm talking about folks who believe as he does. And he's also galvanized the opposition. There are many complementarian people who hold to a sufficiency of Scripture worldview who see this problem. I'm not talking about Beth's people, though I understand why they would take an offense. But rebukes are the most severe and crucial ways of communicating in the Bible. That video honestly sounded like a bunch of people at a family reunion talking about their aunt who was not there. And then she got the video, along with a few of her friends. John lost them at Go Home, and the audience punctuated the moment with their laughter and applause. And though it plays well before the home team, it lost its needed effect outside Grace Community Church. We live in a different world today, and I understand this as well as anyone. I have never spent more time crafting my writings since the advent of the mobile phone and all the social media platforms that came afterward. Everyone has a megaphone. Nobody lives in a vacuum any longer. We are more than a decade into this new day which is why the thought leaders should be setting the example for how we communicate across the Internet. Every word is dissected and scrutinized. And though you're not going to win all your enemies, and that's not the point, it's not a good day when we're losing our own because of how we communicate. And though social media is new, this problem that I am addressing is not new. 
we would not be here if we were more careful about how we communicate with one another. The issue is not social media primarily, but how we talk. Today's megaphone, social media, merely highlights what was always there. The reason we hear about pastoral abuse is is not that it's more prevalent than years ago. It's because there is a megaphone that can highlight the problem. And so whether it's abuse or, in this case, poor communication, there would not be an issue if we were better stewards of our hearts, which would impact how we use our words. What used to be hidden is now brought into the light by the Internet. One national leader told me that, well, John could say any critical thing that he wanted to about a man, like Stephen Furtick, for example. But if he speaks out against a woman, it becomes a national story. My friend is correct. The issue he is raising is part of this new day. My friend needs to understand this new way of conducting our business. Now, ironically, he was making my point, to which I said, if you know that women are more sensitive to open rebukes and hot topic issues, why aren't you more careful about how you formulate and articulate your rebukes? Women and men do respond to critique differently. I see this problem regularly on my Facebook page, and because I know that some women, generally speaking, are more reactive to topics like leadership and submission, I spend more time wordcrafting how I talk about those things. My goal is to serve them, not incite them. Of course, some will argue that it doesn't matter what you say because some women will shrill anyway, to which I respond, if you know this then you should understand the critical necessity of being careful. This perspective here is marriage 101, parenting 101, relationships 101, is common sense. The worst case of this is what we see our president doing. Though I'm glad about many of his policy-making decisions, I lament how he incites people. You can see the similarity to this presidential issue, Between John and Beth, the content is good. What John was sharing was good, but the delivery is not. Believers can do better. Many of the folks who defended how John rebuked Beth cited the rebuke of Jesus and other biblical characters. Ironically, these sufficiency of Scripture people, they were using narrative sections of the Bible as normative. I did see the humor in it. But the comeback is, are you saying because it's narrative, we can't do it? Don't be silly. Of course you can do it. But as you use narrative to make your points, be sure to use all the Bible. Not just cherry pick in those passages that show strength, power, might, admonition, warning, rebuke. In fact, I would recommend Paul as a good case study here as you see his super strong and severe warnings to the Corinthians. Of course, don't begin with his super strong and severe warnings, which he started in 1 Corinthians 1.10. When you talk about Paul rebuking these mean people, 
these heretics, you start with his preface to the forthcoming rebukes. I want to share with you the preface. Before Paul launched into his rebuke of these really outlandish, unbiblical people, I want you to hear how he began his conversation with them, and I want you to hear his heart. Here's the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. Now again, put it in context. Think about the people that he was talking to. They really despised Paul. Here's what he said. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified by Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The one thing that I don't hear from a lot of folks when they are rebuking someone is Paul's compassion for them. Read the passage yourself. Consider the rebuke of Beth more, or more importantly, how you admonished someone recently. If we're going to use Scripture to make our points, the Corinthians makes the Bible's top ten list of mean-spirited heretics hostile to the gospel and hatred of a Christian man. Regardless, Paul spent time on his knees where God gave him affection for these unruly, undisciplined, unbiblical people. If you have a friend who has gone so far off the theological rails, there should be weeping and pity mixed with your rebukes. This narrative about Jesus gets at, the, gets at this blend of pity and rebuke. The narrative here is Matthew 23. This is Jesus talking. Hear the blend of pity and rebuke rebuke. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? See, your house is left to you desolate, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some folks have a hard time putting compassion and rebuke in the same sentence. They err on one side or the other. The rebukers seem to think that that love would ruin the warning. And, of course, the love crowd sees admonitions as as harsh and unloving. 
If you love someone correctly, you will rebuke them when it's warranted. In fact, it's not love if you don't rebuke them. But if you don't have affection for them, it will come across with an attitude that will miss the mark. Ironically, one lady told me that she would be afraid to talk to John and his friends because of how they come across. Let that be an admonition. One of the instructive things about the time when Jesus rebuked the money changers, which you can read in Mark's account and Matthew's, uh, Matthew's account, is that afterward, folks began to gather around him. They were not afraid because they sensed they could be around him. My MacArthur fan, who happens to be a complementarian, said she would be scared to come around some of her fellow reformers. Let that be an admonition. The title of this podcast is Johnny and Friends plus Beth Moore. It's episode 212. I would encourage you to read what I've just shared with you, and I have a lot of internal links inside this podcast, and I would love for you, or inside these show notes, rather, and I would love for you to read and listen and watch videos and sermons on some of these topics here. I would also like to talk to you if you would like to discuss this topic. It is a big deal. I'm not going to get into, I mean, if you want to talk about social justice and feminism and egalitarianism and complementarianism, if you want to talk about those issues, that's fine. But my main point of sharing this podcast with you is because I see this systemic problem that has been here for decades within the evangelical world. I'm not asking anybody to compromise the truths that they see and believe and hold dear in the Bible. What the Bible teaches, I hope that you have and that you maintain a solid sufficiency of Scripture worldview and you do not deviate from it. But my caution and my warning to you and to me is that how we carry our message. I listen to some of the podcasts. I hear some of the people that communicate. And quite frankly, I agree with what these individuals say, but they sound so angry and they're so off-putting in how they communicate that they are hard to listen to. And that's the main takeaway that I have here. There's a few questions that I want to leave you. I hope that the Lord will, will stimulate your heart, will illuminate your mind, and will uh, hope uh, to encourage you to think about this and make personal application. Question number one, as you've listened to this podcast, is there anything that you need to change? I want you to think about your close relationships. If you are married, I want you to think about your spouse. Wife, how do you communicate to your husband? Do you see things in him that he needs to change, but, but you, you communicate in such a harsh and unkind way? Husband, how do you communicate to your wife? Do you communicate in a loving way or a condemning way, a hateful way, a frustrated way, an unforgiving way, a bitter way? Is there anything that you need to change in how you communicate? Perhaps, as you think about your children, if you have children, how do you communicate to them? Do they feel your affection for them? In fact, that's question number two. Will you ask someone close to you? 
someone who knows you well, and they will not rubber stamp you, but they have the courage. They have the courage to speak the truth in love to you. Will you ask them how they hear you? I want you to draw them out about your tone. I want you to draw them out about your word choices. Ask them if you create an environment of grace that compels them to want to hear your critique. You have to set the stage. Every biblical counselor knows this. Every biblical counselor knows that many times within a counseling session, you have to rebuke someone. As I like to say, if you haven't built a relational bridge to that person, the truth that you try to carry over will land in the ravine if you don't have affection for them. And so will you draw them out about your tone? Would you ask them if you create an environment of grace that compels them to want to hear your critique? And then finally, question number three, is there someone you need to go to and talk about how you talked to them? I have done this more than one time in my life, and sadly, I'll I'll probably have to do it again. But if you need to go to someone and seek their forgiveness, will you do it as soon as you can? This is episode 212, Johnny and Friends plus Beth Moore. If you want to talk about it, please come to our website, jump on our forums, and let's talk. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.